1: Welcome to Military Network Radio. I'm Linda Crater, and I'm joined today by co-host Justin Constantine. We are delighted to bring you today's show. The title is called Unbreakable Bonds, The Mighty Moms of Walter Reed. And the subject of the book, by the same name, is very close to both Justin and me personally. Uh, In fact, our tagline of Everyone Serves and Together We Make a Difference is truly underscored today in our program. I think most of our audience is very familiar with the term wounded warriors and understands what that is. But far fewer are familiar with the rigors and challenges needed 24-7 to get to that point of recovery. And the majority of caregivers are spouses, but there is a small and significant group of parent caregivers who we will be spotlighting today. We're talking about caregivers of all types who are often on the hospital grounds for years. And I have yet to see a wounded warrior spring from the ICU to a golf course or parade ground mm-hmm. without enormous work and help. And we are so honored today to have the authors of the book, Unbreakable Bonds, with us, David Garen and Kevin Ferris. Welcome to Military Network Radio.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having us.
1: No, it's our pleasure. We will also have one of the ten Mighty Moms outlined in their book, Tammy Glenn Karcher, who will join us after the first break. So we'll get a little background on the book first. Deva, perhaps you'll start. Can you please share how you became involved in writing this terrific book? And Kevin, jump in as well, because I know the two of you did this together.
3: Well, actually what happened was it was uh, from a personal experience. I had volunteered at Walter Reed and um, was going to do a program on Valentine's Day and it turns out the woman who was hosting it got sick so she said look, just go and visit this young Marine who's a winter warrior in room 420 um, at Walter Reed which I did and it was just one of these moments where I walked in there, spent some time with him, he was blown up three months prior very catastrophically injured and from that experience and it it took a, a number of times Like going back, I would go back week after week, and as I did, I began to meet so many of these mothers who were caring for these young, very, very injured um, wounded warriors, Marines, at Walter Reed, and um, I just, you know, I just could not believe what they had to go through, and Kevin and I are colleagues and friends, and we had wanted to do a book to that would have some very good meaning, and um, I talked to him, and he was really into it, and we decided to write a book about these amazing ten mothers, and there—believe me, many, many more moms—who we wish we could have included. Um, if we could have included everyone, it would have been wonderful. Um, and we decided to write the book.
1: Kevin, do you have something to add to that? What did you think when you first heard of the idea?
2: Oh well, it was—it was, it was news to me because um, I've been, as a columnist here at the Philadelphia Inquirer, I've been covering veterans and military issues for quite a while. And had certainly interviewed wounded warriors and families. And um, when Deva said that the moms actually picked up from wherever they lived in the country and moved to Walter Reed for years at a time, I had never heard that story. And um, certainly thought it was a story worth telling. And um, we were very fortunate in being able to find a publisher who was also as committed to the idea as we were and, um, and got the ball rolling.
1: I think you outline a very important point. I've had people say, um, I thought the VA or the DOD took care of them. I think there's a big gap in understanding, certainly among the civilian world, but even in the military world, over who takes care of these people. It's assumed that medical staff will do that. And that, as you know, and, and you can talk more about that, I'm sure, is what you found was not the case.
3: It's actually pretty remarkable because it is such a humongously large uh, system, and these injuries are are just unexpected and so, so catastrophic. I think a lot of the planning of how to handle them and also what happens when a family member, they're young men, they're not married, and women, who takes care of them? You know, what happens when they're injured? Usually it's the mom, and what we have seen is you know, when any of these amazing people got injured, the moms literally had to give up jobs, families, home life. Some moved as far away uh, as Alaska, and mm-hmm. you basically relocate to Bethesda at Walter Reed, and some people have been there literally for four years. Uh, Julie and Adam, he's, um, he's retiring, actually, I think, this week. They have been there four years, so right. the needs are so great, and I think people especially the American public with so few, what's 1% of, of the population knows somebody in the military, I think it's off of people's radar, and they don't realize as soon as that person leaves Walter Reed, the journey begins. It's, not, it's a huge, you know, huge process just to recover, but the recovery is forever, literally forever. And a lot of the moms uh, in our book, too, will be with their kids probably the rest of their lives taking care of them.
2: Yeah, cause, yeah. I just want to point out too that Walter Reed, um, Walter Reed does do a great job in taking care of people and saving people's lives. Um, but the inju- injuries are so catastrophic; people need twenty four seven care, and that's mm-hmm. that's tough for any medical center to um, to do. Mm-hmm. And that's where the, that's really where the moms step in, because um, I think you could say that in a lot of these cases, you know, in past wars, um, people wouldn't survive wounds like these. So. Right. This this is kind of new territory for a lot of people, and so the fact that the moms can step up and they certainly do, um, they just fill in a lot of gaps for um, the professionals at Walter Reed. And while there might be some butting of heads here and there, I mean overall, they I think they form a pretty good team and really um, help people survive.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, David and Kevin, this is yeah. This is something I experienced as well when I was an inpatient at Bethesda back in 2006, which was still early on in the process, and you're exactly right, with the family members often having to uproot themselves. Typically the moms, um, especially as a service member, was not married. Mm -hmm. And you know back then, uh, they didn't have pay for the non-medical attendance, and so it was on their own dime. And it's just you know it's hard to fathom that in, mm-hmm. in this day and age that's the, that's the way it, you know that's the reality and that's changed and so I think your book uh, with, you know a lot of the moms out there and a lot of caregivers would really benefit from reading your book um, just just for the inspiration I want to know where they can find it.
3: Well, right now, if you wanted to buy it, you could get it on Amazon. It's on Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, and Indie Books, and in bookstores as well. Um, and the one thing that I think Kevin and I both realized personally from this experience is, you know, it's one thing to write a book as a journalist, and and you know, you're you're doing it. and You sort of that's the end of that onto the next project. It's another thing to write it as journalists but also as people who care. Kevin's mm-hmm. a veteran my my dad was a veteran, my husband it's it, it's part of our life, and so we know what goes into not only serving but what happens when you're injured and I think the personally what we've gotten from it is not only just have met some amazing warriors i mean amazing and justin I think I met you at a golf tournament a couple of times at the Army Navy Club, and yep, so many sure others. Did. Right, And you realize that, that we are so blessed to even know people like you and who've served and who are willing to risk their lives. And I think the American public really needs to understand that and step up to the plate a little bit and, and do something to get involved because the other thing we've seen is that everyone needs to help, and those acts of kindness mean so much to families. And it, it's remarkable, like, without some of these nonprofits, many of them smaller Luke's Wings, uh, Trucking for Troops, all of these great nonprofits, um, where would they be? Because once you're discharged, you're on your own, and you really do need support from very, very caring Americans.
4: Yeah, you're you're exactly right. Explaining what you say about the nonprofits, you kind of wonder what would life be like for our community if it weren't for all these nonprofits. Uh, one question I have for you is how did you how did you pick which of the ten women would be in your book? Oh well, that's
3: easy. One word, Stacy Fiddler. Oh, I don't know. You all know Stacy, but. You know, we always refer to Stacy. She's a mighty mom, but she's a force of nature. And she was (laughs) the first person I met. Her son, Mark Fidler, was the young man who I first met. And I got very close to her and her family and through her, literally went to Building 62. I was probably there almost like every week, every other week for years. And, you know, you get to meet all these amazing mothers. So when we were thinking about the book, I knew some of them already, Um, Lynn Braden Reed, Julie Keys, but Mm -hmm. then Stacy introduced me to some others. And then also we had some help from Operation Homefront, who was very generous in giving us access to um, Pam uh, Britt and Val Scott and uh, Paulette Neeson, all of whom we would not have met at Walter Reed because they already were gone. So between Stacy and Operation Homefront and then just through our own networking, like I say, we could have probably included 10 more because we know so many more amazing moms, you know, having been involved with everyone through all these years. So it's been really, you know, for me personally, I know for Kevin, it, it has been probably the most life-changing experience I think I've, I've had, to be honest.
4: Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure it has been just having the time to sit down listen to these very personal stories. Some heartbreaking, some incredible inspirational, and probably all a combination of both must have had a deep impact on both of you.
3: And you know, well, it's, it's a, another, oh, sorry, Jeff.
4: Okay. Oh,
2: I was going to say um it that's exactly right. I mean, even though I've read the story several times and heard the story several times, you know, we've been doing some signings and readings and um, when the moms, the moms can join us, they do and um, when people start asking questions of the moms, there's just silence. I mean, and even though I've heard the stories over and over again, it's you, you just can't help but be moved by the mm-hmm. sacrifice and commitment that they put in, you know, into this and um Just how dedicated they are is just incredible um, for me to listen to no matter how many times I hear it.
1: It doesn't get old, Kevin. Um, It it just doesn't. As you talk to these moms and spouses and brothers and sisters, all these caregivers, you're struck by the dedication and the care that is shown, and we're just not going to let them drop, and that's what makes it so absolutely Mm -hmm. fascinating. Um, I noticed that you're talking about the moms over at Bethesda, when Tammy joins us a little bit later, we will talk a little bit about the transition from Walter Reed Army Medical Center over to the new uh, hospital facility at Bethesda, because significant Mm -hmm. changes were made. Mm -hmm. And it made for some good quality of life, and it made for some more difficult, challenging times with integrating with the groups that come to visit and come to help. So there's always good And and pluses and minuses to change, Um, but we will do a good job of hearing all that from Tammy. Thank you so much for listening. You're listening to Military Network Radio. We are going on break, and we will be right back.
0: We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages.
5: Okay, we will. We're going to teach you how to tell your money where to go. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten this is the financial advisor who's in your corner and truly understands and cares about you and helping you achieve your goals. Securities and advisory services are offered through LPL Financial. Member FINRA, SIPC. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on TogiNet. LinkedIn, it's a great tool and a great way to do business in today's social media-driven world. And Carol McManus is the LinkedIn lady with the LinkedIn Lady Show. Tuesday and Wednesday afternoons at 4 p.m. Eastern on all this businessradio network.com. The LinkedIn Lady show is designed to inform, inspire, and educate businesses. Every social media site has a specific demographic, personality, and purpose, and the LinkedIn Lady will interview a variety of guests such as business owners who can showcase their business and talk about how they use social media, such as Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Google Plus, Pinterest, and of course, LinkedIn. For more on Carol and the show, check out her website, linkedinlady.com. As trends change and new applications become available the linkedin ladies show will bring that information to you in an easy to use fun and engaging way every tuesday and wednesday afternoons at 4 p.m eastern it's the linkedin ladies show with carol mcmanus on all business radio network.com welcome back to military network radio serving the
0: military their families and those who care about them together we make a difference
1: Welcome back to Military Network Radio. We're here with David Guerin and Kevin Ferris, the authors of the book Unbreakable Bonds, The Mighty Moms of Walter Reed. And we are very pleased to introduce you to Tammy Glenn Carter, one of those mighty moms who I was fortunate enough to meet many years ago now at this point, Tammy, uh, over at the old Walter Reed uh, Army Medical Center. But welcome to Military Network Radio.
6: Thank you. Glad to be here.
1: I am very glad you're here. Tammy is an incredible, fierce tiger mom, as we have been talking about these caregivers. And yet her story is quite unique um, in that she became even further isolated because of an inability to talk about what had happened to her wounded son. So I'm going to let her tell her story because it's pretty gripping and unusual among the 10 stories of the Mighty Mom. So, Tammy, would you mind telling your story to us?
6: I'll probably choke up, because I always do. So That's okay. I do. Um, uh, my son went to Iraq in July. He arrived in Iraq on July 13th of 2010. I talked to my son about every day, via either Skype or on Facebook, um, my son was a communication specialist, so he had the um, the ability to talk to me every day. Um, the last time I talked to my son was on the 21st of September. He said, "Mama, I'm not going to be able to talk to you for a few days. We're doing some networking stuff, and I'm not going to be able to talk to you." I said, "Okay, that's fine. Contact me when you're li- when you're able to talk again." And he said, "Okay, I love you. You know the normal the normal talk and." Um, It happened to be my Friday to work. So I went to work. I had to be at work at 6.30, went to work, and I had a doctor's appointment that day. So I left work early, and I came home, and I was looking at the caller ID. I'd made my appointment for the next doctor and everything, and um, I called my husband, and I said, Did you answer the phone today? And he said, No. I said, Well, are you sure? And he said, Yeah. I said, Well, the phone rang at 657 and 701. He said, I thought it was a telemarketer. I didn't answer it. I said, okay. I said, well, the <laughs> thing about it is, is it's a nine one two or 915. Now I can't remember the number. And um, I said, that's Fort Stewart area code. He says, well, call it and call me back. And I said, okay. So I called and um, told him who I was. And the guy put me on hold. He said, hold on just a minute. There was a lot of background noise. They couldn't hear me. And I said, "Um, you know, I'm Specialist Shanks' mom. Can you tell me, you know, why you're calling me? Is there something I need to know? And he just kind of got silent. And I'm like, is my son safe? Wow. You know, what's going on? And he said, "Um, ma'am, there's no easy way to say this, but your son is in stable condition. And I'm thinking, okay, stable condition. He fell. He broke his leg. He's not able to call me. You know, he fell off off of a tower, you know, whatever. And um, I said, okay, I said, um, he's like, I can't give you any more information. I have to let my superior call you. And I said, okay, that's fine. Um, so I went and called, called my work, called my husband, and I said, Jeffrey's been injured. All I know is he's in stable condition. My husband, we live about twenty minutes from a naval base in southern Maryland and so my husband said I'll be home in twenty minutes and I called my old supervisor and told him and he said, I'll take care of I'll take care of your work, don't worry about it and call me if you need me and I said, Okay. He was a prior officer in the Navy, so he knew how it worked. So about twenty minutes later, I remember I remember putting Putting the phone down, I kept trying to get a hold of my best friend. Couldn't get a hold of her. I was texting her kids, calling her kids, and I said, I need to talk to your mom. My daughter was upstairs in her room, and she stood at the top of the steps, and I was crying. She thought I was laughing. She's like, Mom, what's wrong? And I said, Jeffrey's been injured. And he said, she said, what? And I told her, and I, I was so choked up. My heart was in my toes. All I wanted was to be this, like, five or 8,000 miles away, to wrap my arms around my son. I had mm-hmm. no idea what his injuries were. And she came down, and she hugged me. And At this point in time, she was 16, and she says, Mommy, everything's going to be fine. Jeffrey is a strong person. He's going to be fine. And I said, We don't know that. So I went outside. I'm a smoker, and I don't smoke in my home, so I smoke outside, and I'm um talking to my girlfriend and my husband comes home and my daughter's in the house and the the officer the superior called me and all he could tell me was my son was shot in the leg and in the head i had no idea if my son was going to be a vegetable as they say was going to be in the bed for the rest of his life i had no idea what what was going on and i told him i said listen I said, I can't comprehend anything you're telling me. You know, my, my heart is in my toes. I can't, I can't comprehend anything. When my husband gets here, he will call you back. So lots of family support. I was afraid to tell my mom and dad. I, kept ca- I called my mom about 10 after 4, and I said, Mom, I said, is Jody home? Well, she's, which is my sister. She's like, well, she's just pulling in. And I said, well, tell her I need to talk to her. She's like, what's wrong? I'm like, oh, nothing. You know, I tried to play because my parents are older. My dad um, my dad, was, pre- was pretty sick at the time, and I was afraid he would have a heart attack, and that's not what I needed at the time. <laughs> so I talked to my sister, and I told her, I said, Jeffrey's been injured. And the first thing she said to me was, Jamie, he just told me he's in a safe zone. He's safe. And I said, yes, that's true, but he's been injured. So I don't know if he was going from one sob to the other or what, but he's been injured. At that point in time, I still didn't know what, was going, what happened to my son. And um, so slowly, I only told her to tell my mom and dad bits and pieces. And my dad said to my sister, the Army is not telling her everything. There's more to the story. That's what my dad said. And so the Army contacted me, the Department of Army contacted me at quarter to 10 that night to tell me that my son was injured. His unit had already called me six hours, almost seven hours prior. Well, 12 really, 14 really. But, um, you know, so they told me that it was the lower left, it was the left leg, the whole leg, and that um, he was shot in the head and they're trying to keep him stable and that he was still in Iraq and they didn't know when they would be able to transport him. Well, before, just before that, probably about 6, 6.30, my husband came out with tears in his eyes. My husband's retired Navy with tears in his eyes. And I had my neighbors with me And he had tears in his eyes. I've never seen him cry. And he said, him? I said, what? And he said, I thought he was going to tell me he was gone. He said, another soldier is the one that shot our son. I said, what? He said, yes. He said, it wasn't. He wasn't out and about. All I know is another soldier shot our son. At that point in time, we had no idea anything else was going on next day that night jeffrey's friend was coming home he was he's a marine he was coming home from north carolina and i asked him to stop here i didn't care if it was three four five six o'clock in the morning i wanted him to stop here before he went to his mom and dad's and um so he did and i told him what i knew and then he said well we're gonna go his wife was pregnant. He says, we're going to go home to Mom's for a little while, and we'll come back later this afternoon. And hopefully by then, you know, all the ki- all the kids would be here. All the friends would be here. And I said, okay. And they said, we don't want to leave you alone. We just want-, we want to be here if you need us. If you don't want us here, you know, kick us out or kick us to the basement. I said, okay. So I received a phone call from my son's colonel. He explained to me, he said, I can't tell you everything. I can only tell you a few things. He said Jeffrey was injured um, by a by a soldier, and um, he has been apprehended. He said there was two others involved, and they did not make it, and my heart dropped. I did call on Friday when I found out I did call my son's um, supervisor and talk to his wife because. Being military, you have, you have this military family that you connect with, and you're connected with that family no matter where in the world they are. They're your, your family away from home. And my son's um, supervisor was that, was that family. And before he left to go to Iraq, I told Keith, I said, Keith, I said, keep an eye on my boy. And he said, I will. He said, I will. And um, so I called his wife, and she knew something was wrong. And I asked her if you know she had heard anything from Keith, because the last I knew they were both in the same room. Well, they were sworn sworn to secrecy. They weren't allowed to talk to any family members. Um, a email went out. Everything when something happens, everything goes black. There's no communication right. with stateside. So um, I talked to. Like, every six hours I called to find out, you know, where my son was, what, what was going on. We, we get an 800 number that you can call. Well, my son arrived in Germany about 3.30 on Saturday. The actual incident happened on a Thursday night between 11.18 and 11.23. They could not get him stabilized enough to fly him out. And, um, so we, um, I called every day and I called, I called my friend, um, that is an OR nurse and, um, I've known him for years. And I said to him, I said, you know, can you explain to me what's going on? You know, what are these different things? I have a medical background, but when it's your own child, everything goes to the back burner. You don't think. Of anything. So um, he explained to me and he explained to me that the neurosurgeon that was in Germany was actually a really good friend of his. So they contacted, he contacted him to let him know that, you know, this was my son and that, you know, it was a really good friend. And um, Chris called me actually on Sunday.
1: Tammy, I'm going to need to break you off there. We have to take a short break, and we will resume after we come back after this break. Thank you for listening to Military Network Radio.
7: We're
0: Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages.
5: This is TogiNet, Cutting Edge Radio.
0: Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome
1: back to Military Network Radio. We're here with Tammy Glenn Karcher and the authors of The Mighty Moms of Walter Reed. Tammy, we are in your story, you had taken us to uh, Jeffrey's um, stability finally in Launchstool, but he wasn't. Stable enough to be flown to the States. So they flew you to Lonestool, you and the family, and then eventually transported Jeffrey back to uh, Walter Reed Army Medical Center, the old Walter Reed. And I believe you and I met there um, after several surgeries and you had settled into living there. Can you explain what that was like once you got your feet underneath you and you had a routine to follow that was rigorous? Um, but definitely a routine. You were definitely at a military hospital.
6: Yes, every day we get up at a certain time. We would have to get up a little bit earlier because Jeffrey would ha- it would take time for Jeffrey to get dressed because he had an exfixator fixator on his leg, and and um, in, in the winter he had to actually his leg got really cold, and they um, they ended up removing part of his skull while we were in Langstuhl, so the whole left side of his head was. Um, was not there the skull was gone so you had to wear a helmet too so we had a helmet we had canes we had um, we had all this stuff that we had to carry with us throughout the day and going from TBI appointments and we were going from the old Walter Reed to Bethesda Mm -hmm. because Jeffrey's doctors actually was in Bethesda and when he was finished with Bethesda then we went to Walter Reed we lived in a we lived in a hotel type apartment had a bathroom, two beds, a TV, a computer, and a little um, college-sized refrigerator and a microwave. We ate, we ate dinner down, down in the Malone House, um, dining hall, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And we were very thankful for the nonprofits that came in that did barbecues out on the patio.
7: Mm-hmm.
6: So after a while, I mean, with my, with my story, I could not talk to anybody about what happened to my son. All I could say was it was friendly fire. I was going through not only the um, emotions of dealing with my son being wounded, but I was also dealing with the attorneys, the, um, the military attorneys, and talking with them. And, you know, I was Jeffrey's go-between because Jeffrey didn't remember anything. Um, my, son couldn't, my son didn't know what happened to him until November 9th. And when we first met with the attorneys, you know, they were asking. They, it was just more of a meet and greet, and um, just to get to know them. But we had three attorneys the entire time. First, we went through what they call an Article 32, which was a pretrial, and that was um, teleconference to Iraq. And then after that, we we were getting we were getting geared up for a full-blown court-martial trial, which took months to prepare. I can't tell you how many times we met with the attorneys but I had to become resourceful and be very be a huge advocate for my son because my son's not your normal wounded warrior. My son did did not get a purple heart. My son got no awards while he was, while he was in Iraq. So my son was felt left out. He kept that one of the things that I remember why we were inpatient was he kept saying, "When am I getting my purple heart? When am I getting my purple heart?" At that time, Jeffrey was like a two-year-old. I could redirect him to where he wouldn't know that, you know, that I had changed the subject at that point in time because he was still heavy on the medications and just coming out of the coma. But after, you know, we met with the attorneys and CID met with him and everything, they he kind of started to understand and he started to come back to, to more of my son which
4: Tam- the first time we met you, Linda, was... Hey, Tammy, pretty- sorry, sorry to, Tammy, sorry to uh, bust in here, but I'm really interested in this part of it. I mean, I remember this story. This is a, this is national news. I, and so I understand you weren't able to talk to anyone about it because there was an ongoing investigation. What was that like? No one else has had that experience.
6: It was very hard. I could speak with my husband, but I couldn't speak... I couldn't speak with anybody because I didn't know who I was speaking to. I didn't know who they knew. And I could speak with my family because they, I could trust them. I mean, I had to call my in-laws and my mom and dad and said, if the news station comes to your door, do not answer any questions. Tell them that mm-hmm. you can't answer any questions. Well, we're talking elderly people. You know, don't answer the phone if you don't know the number and this kind of stuff. And right. I mean Jeffrey was the victim usually the victim is never you know the name isn't brought out we never did have to deal with the media but I was so afraid you know Jeffrey wanted to you know go do things and I'm like Jeffrey you can't say you know and I would have to I would have to intervene with some of the organizations that he did because I was afraid that he might say something because he has a severe TBI and it's frontal lobe damage that he might say something that would be detrimental to the investigation.
4: Yeah, that that must have been very challenging. I remember seeing a YouTube clip that Jeffrey made uh, basically just showing him walking around and talking, and he looked like he was doing quite fine. He mentioned during that uh, video clip that the neurosurgeons originally told him that he would never be able to walk or talk again. Do you remember that?
6: Yes, they told me that in Germany that there, there's a possibility that he would never be able to walk or talk again.
4: Oh, so just a possibility.
5: Well,
6: basically, he, he said, you know, if it, if they would have waited longer to remove his skull, that was the big possibility. I, when we got to Germany, I stayed the night in the hospital. The doctor woke me up at 4.30. I went to sleep at 3.30. The doctor woke me up at 4.30, and he woke me up at 5 o'clock. And told me he can't wait any longer. That it was sure. that the damage was going to be too bad if we waited.
4: Sure, that makes sense. Now, um, I, I, I don't want to spend too much time on the trial itself because I'm I'm sure it's painful for you. But I'm sure our listeners would love to know what happened um, at the trial.
6: Um, we went to Jeffrey and I went to Fort Stewart the beginning of June, the end of May, beginning of June. The trial was scheduled for three weeks. Um, it actually ended in about six days, and um my husband was going to come down later, and I called him and told him he had to come earlier because I needed him I was in the I was in the actual trial room Jeffrey could not be in until after he testified so, and my this was the first time I faced the man that tried to kill my son, and to just look at him, his eyes were empty. there was no emotion. And I didn't have direct eye contact with him, which is something that I did not want. Um, My biggest question was why. We never did get the answer why. Um, I did get put on the stand. I was on the stand for about 45 minutes. One of the questions that was asked to me was, how did I feel about sending my son to war? I sent my son to war knowing that he was fighting for his country. Never in my wildest dreams that I
4: think his own brother-in-arms would turn on him. I'm sure it's uh, it's the toughest thing for Jeffrey to reconcile as well. Uh, You know, that's the last thing any of us would ever ever expect. Now, it's my understanding that um, uh, the soldier did uh, receive two life sentences without without parole. Is that correct?
6: He was charged with two counts of premeditated murder and one count of uh, attempted premeditated murder. He got 996 years. As mm-hmm. of June thirteenth, June thirteenth, he has nine hundred and ninety-three more years to serve.
4: Mm-hmm. I, I guess. Wow! Uh, uh, wow! Well, that's um, that, that's that's an incredible, incredible part of the story. Now, back to Jeffrey. What's he doing now?
6: Jeffrey um, actually moved to North Carolina last October. He has since married since. Um, since his injury we have a beautiful grandson adam he's about <laughs> 19 almost 20 months old now and That's right, um, something i never thought i would have and i'm going to be another mum mum come december we're expecting the second grandchild in december lovely jeffrey um, moved to north carolina to start the nascar institute and which he did but From what I understand and what I've read, the NASCAR Institute is a very fast-paced school for a normal person. And with Jeffrey's challenges of having the TBI, it was just too much for him. Yeah. So he um, ended up dropping out. And come this September, Jeffrey will be starting um, the culinary arts school in um, Charlotte, North Carolina.
4: Wow. That's fantastic.
6: yeah, he's always been interested in cooking, and he wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon. Then he wanted to be a physical therapist. Then he wanted to be an <laughs> occupational therapist. <laughs> and, you know, now his saying is, as I'm retired, I said, well, you need to go do something. You need to do sure. something instead of sitting there on the couch and playing with the kids and playing video games.
3: Mm. So, well, can I jump in? Can I just say Because uh, what Tell you saying about Jeffrey is remarkable, and I think. Uh, what we have seen in all of the moms in the book, without without that love, attention, fierceness, um, advocacy, everything for mm-hmm. these kids, the outcomes, Jeffrey and any of the, the window Warriors would probably write to not to have the outcomes they've had. And I, I you know you can see a direct exactly. correlation between um, the moms and the support that they have given and all of the fighting for them, and, and with each other and building the bonds with each other to give each other support, these kids would absolutely not be in the shape they're in right now. Right now. And I agree. They
6: and the, the thing about it is, is I can talk back to anybody I want to. Yeah. A superior <laughs> officer, whatever. My son cannot. Mm-hmm. And so we had to be our voice for our kids and mm-hmm. fight for our kids for the different things that needed to be done, whether it... He needed extra PT or he needed extra Mm -hmm. physical therapy, um, extra occupational therapy, Mm -hmm. speech therapy, what have you. We had to fight and be the voice because the kids wouldn't speak to the officers. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying I was disrespectful, but I had to write five letters to generals to get what I needed to get Mm -hmm. done.
3: And you know son. the beauty of of what of what these moms uh, have done too is that a lot a lot has changed because of what they've been through and there are a couple of examples um one of the moms her son uh, had you know they had a lot of people medical people working on his case from all different disciplines, and she would find she'd go from one to the next one civilian hey. military doctor and it was so confusing. She put up a big stink, and just like Tammy said, she would go over to someone and say, you know, I don't care how many medals you have on your chest. I just care about my son, and we need to do this, 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 and this differently. Sure enough, things change. So it's really true. You have to be that way. And I think what we've also seen, all of the moms in the book and the others as well, just were there for each other so you could share information, best practices. Right. You know, they they all would meet. You know David, we're going on wet. break
1: and we will continue oh. that after the okay. break. You're listening to military network radio.
0: We're military network radio and we'll be right back after these short messages.
8: You've got big vision. Now it's time for you to make it happen.
5: Homeschooling? Have questions? Get your pen and paper ready. It's the sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Fridays at 5, 4 Central on toginet.com. They survived and thrived, and you can too. Vivian will be covering a wide range of issues that face homeschoolers. What do you do with kids in the summer? How to set up your one-room schoolhouse? How obedience is paramount? And what to do with those snakes? Plus, you will be sharing ideas and insights that you gleaned from other homeschoolers. So join us for an engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Friday afternoons at 5, 4 Central, on toginet.com. Homeschooling? Have questions? Get your pen and paper ready. It's the sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Fridays at 5, 4 Central, on toginet.com. with kids in the summer, how to set up your one room schoolhouse, how obedience is paramount, and what to do with those snakes. Plus, you'll be sharing ideas and insights that you gleaned from other homeschoolers. So join us for an engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNenney, Friday afternoons at 5, 4 Central on TogiNet.com.
0: Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference.
1: Welcome back to Military Network Radio. To sum it up, we've been talking with the authors of the book, Unbreakable Bonds, The Mighty Moms of Walter Reed. we talking to Tammy Glenn-Karcher, whose son, Jeffrey, was shot by one of our own and who went through a very unique caregiving experience as well as a legal obstacle course um, to really prevail, and I'd love to take this segment and talk about how the resilience Um, of our wounded warriors is often attributed to people who won't give up, the caregivers who will not give up. It was at this time that the term non-medical attendant, NMA, was turning to caregiver because it made for such a more closely understood um, relationship. So I would love it if you would talk about how you really know that what you were doing was making a difference. And Dave and Kevin jump in, and, mm-hmm. and please let's talk about this aspect of things.
3: Mm-hmm.
6: Tammy, one of the moms, you first. Uh, yeah, one of the moms that's in the book, Stacy. Stacy is a huge advocate. She's been, um, she's like the marine go-to mom, is what we called her. Um, she actually has been on Capitol Hill for a couple of different things and voicing her son actually had over a 100 pints of blood so she was different i mean different things she jumped in when she could At the beginning it was very hard for her but then she started getting very 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 um knowledgeable on different things and fighting for our kids because wives are different than moms wives will fight for for their their spouse but moms moms have that caregiving instinct that's born into them so from the day they're born that's our kids so the caregiving part you know for us and with Stacy Stacy's son was so severely injured that she had to fight to get different things for her
5: mm-hmm.
6: and she was a huge advocate for all of us we had a we had an issue and we would, I would go to Stacy. Stacy, what do you know about this? Mm-hmm. And Stacy was great. That
3: was that bond. Mm-hmm. And you but, know the great part about the, these moms together is what I was saying before about best practices. That mm-hmm. everybody would share what they knew with each other. So people right. who were maybe a little shy in the beginning all of a sudden became more fierce, and those who were maybe more fierce learned something from the others. So it really was interesting to see. Some of the moms who were a little bit more, you know, didn't have that kind of um, feeling learned how to be that way, and then they were able to do that for their children. And the other thing is really interesting. I think because of them and their advocacy, too, other groups have formed to help. For example, Elizabeth Dole, who had an experience personally with her husband being Walter Reed, and she decided to devote her foundation to caregiving. Mm -hmm. And so she has been a very, very big advocate on Capitol Hill, all over um, for caregivers and created a program called the Dole Fellows. So I think more and more, thanks to everybody's not giving up and really being very vocal uh, about you know, their kids, it's really changing the landscape a lot. And the other thing I really um, want to really talk about is just uh, about disability that the one thing you learn if you're around, and Tammy knows firsthand, there are no disabilities, just abilities. And, and one of the warriors will say, you know, I don't tell people I'm handicapped. I say I'm handicapable. Mm-hmm. And it is amazing to me that to see these kids, and if you ask them, they'll say, you know, I would go back tomorrow. If I had robotic legs, if I had this or that, I would be there tomorrow. And I think part of that resilience is who they are as people, but the other thing is the support of their caregivers.
1: Debbie, you bring up a yeah. really good point. A lot of people talk about how looking back, there's so much post traumatic growth from this experience, and closer bonds with family and understanding mm-hmm. and and the team of people that they were with, the mothers, the nonprofits, the groups that helped them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kevin, you were going to say something
2: Well, David just reminded me of a story um, you know part of it for the moms is being there all the time, and then part of it is learning when to back off and mm-hmm. I remember Lynn Reed talking about her son, Chris, and what a tough time he was having adjusting to his new circumstances is a, um you know having lost both legs and an, and an explosion and um what really helped him was going hunting um when he was finally able to go back home and meeting with his old high school friends and they started treating him just like chris and not as you know chris the wounded warrior or something mm-hmm. and um i remember him telling me um he went out hunting i think it was with his dad and his dad wanted to hang around with him and say you know i'll i'll stay here with you and he said no i need to learn how to do this myself you know, right. it's, it's, it might not be the way you're going to do it. It might not be the way someone else is going to do it, but I have mm-hmm. to figure out my way. And so so it's really, but to get to that point, they needed a lot of support along the way. And um, it's just such a and tremendous team effort. I mean, the moms and their individual sons and daughters, and then the moms mm-hmm. together, just pretty remarkable to, to watch.
3: And you know the one thing, I too, I think the American people really need to, to, like I said before, step up to the plate because, you know, once once you leave the bubble of Walter Reed and you're on your own, and you're not around your buddies anymore, you don't have the support. And I think it's really, really important for people to be mentors, advocates, give what they can, do small things. It's the little things that make a very big difference. And if, you know, if every American would do one thing, find out who the wounded warrior in their community is and their family, just talk to them. Do you need anything? What can what can I do? It can make a huge difference because we take it for granted. You know, we don't have These injuries, we don't have this sort of life changing experience, but we can offer somebody, you know, a helping hand. And I think the other thing is for people to realize there really are no disabilities. People are people. And I think it's changed my point of view. I don't look at somebody, you know, like a lot of people will say, girl wounded warriors, oh my God, I don't want to go to the gym because everybody stares at me. I don't have any legs. I, I look different. You know what, so what yeah, that's that's life and and I think it makes you realize that everybody is the same, you're no different than anyone else, and I think it's a different way to look at anyone who has a challenge because we all have challenges, and you never know what's around the corner for anyone
6: exactly i um I want to jump in here real quick the the wounded The wounded family community, all of us. We've we've been home from Walter Reed for two years now. I still have moms, caregivers call me and talk to me when they're having a bad day. Mm-hmm. I still have the Wonder the, the, the Warriors used to call me mom. They're still calling me all hours of the day and night because we understand each other. Right. The normal civilian does not understand us. We know what we've been through. We get it. When you get home... Mm-hmm. Your your friends that you had, some of them are still there, but not all of them. They don't get it, and that's the mm-hmm. biggest thing, is why our wounded community sticks together and the organizations keep doing things for these guys beyond, is because we're alike. We can make jokes like, "I'm going to run to the store. You go right ahead. At least you got legs." <laughs> you know, it's a little, I a blast it's a little in Afghanistan. Yeah, and, you know, the moms still call, the window warriors still call each other and still do things with each other because we get it and we Mm -hmm. understand. And the VA is so different than being at Bethesda. Oh, yeah. Bubble like, like like David said, the bubble, the bubble is a bubble. And when you leave there, it is so different. It is Mm -hmm. so different.
1: Well, you're bringing up what is so critically important to most successful programs, which is the peers and the mentoring of like people who have had like experiences. And what I have found in almost every single one of these mom caregivers is you've used the knowledge that you have gained. I certainly know Paulette has done this as well, um, Mm -hmm. Stacy. a number of them. Um, You use it to mentor others so they don't have to go Mm -hmm. through the bare experience that you went through. And so with each successive, unfortunately it keeps going, um, generation Mm -hmm. of caregivers, whether they be spouses, uh, brothers, sisters, or parents, that knowledge is changed. So this group of peers is
3: growing and is very helpful. You know what else, Linda, we're going to do? At, we're going to start something called Mighty Mentors, which is mm-hmm. not going to be a nonprofit because there won't be any money involved, but basically matching up um, civilians, people who right. care, with um, a mom, a wife, a wounded warrior even, but primarily for the caregivers. Because the other thing that we have seen um, with the moms, but also with wives, you know, younger women who, like Penny said, don't necessarily have the maternal connection. They love their spouses, but they... They're young themselves, and they don't always right. have the direction. So we're going to pair up those young women with, you know, more mature women from the business world, other other areas who will mentor them for one year and whatever that relationship takes them, in an effort to sort of help them get through. You know whatever they need, so that that we see is another big gap that we can maybe really
1: help to fill. Well, it is, and it goes on forever and ever. Um, I, I know that I still talk to most of the caregivers very frequently, because they go through different phases, and it is a lifelong thing. Um, and there's processes to all of it. So your mighty mentors sounds fantastic, uh, Tammy. I know that Jeffrey had a name for you while you were at Walter Reed, and he probably still uses it occasionally. You want to share that?
6: <laughs> yeah. Jeff, when Jeffrey was in when Jeffrey came out of ICU and he was coming out of East Coma and people would come into the rooms, we'd have visitors and um even nurses and corpsmen that would come into the room and they would say, Oh, what happened to you? Jeffrey didn't know what happened to him, so there was no discussion. And whoever was sitting would be like, Oh, you need to talk to your mom So he started calling me the warden. <laughs> and when the warden come out, everybody knew that mom mom had had enough and so he still calls me the warden every once in a while but yeah the warden was um the warden helped not just jeffrey but i helped many kids and i still do and i will fight for these kids to whatever just like i want to say something today actually it's like 7 20 this morning i got a text message from another wounded warrior and um, he's like give mean, I i I'm, I'm in a bind i need your help Well, his family was supposed to take his children. He's going to, um, on a trip with other wounded warriors to speak to different um, organizations and businesses. And he's like, the person that was trying to help, that was going to help me, has an emergency and I either have to cancel my trip. I said, I will watch your kids. I just need a medical power of attorney. Bring the kids over. I'll keep the kids for the 18 days. He's like, on, and I said, I will keep your kids. Go, Tammy, you I, do need a break.
1: Right. And, and I, I hate to cut you off. We could talk for hours. Please go to the Facebook page for unbreakable bonds to find out more information. The book is available on Amazon and thank you to our guests today. Deva, Kevin and Tammy, of course, we are so glad to welcome you to Military Network Radio, and please download the show afterward. And we are delighted to have you with us today. Thanks so much. Thank you Thanks for having us in
0: today, to Military Thank Network you for Radio. You can find our show at our website, www.toginet.com forward slash Military Network Radio. Also, www.MilitaryNetworkRadio.com and in iTunes under Military Network Radio. Join us next week when we bring you another program to enhance your